0: Shalom. Good morning. My name is Don Waybright. I'm a missions pastor at Sugar Creek Baptist Church, and we're celebrating the theme of missions on this Sunday, and I'll be speaking on the topic of shalom. Shalom is a magnificently beautiful word. It has such harmony. Just uh, sound it out with me. Just speak it one time. Just listen to the way it resonates. Shalom. <laughs> well, shalom is a Hebrew word for peace, but it means much more, and it's much more grand in our English equivalent. It means much more than the absence of warfare or the absence of conflict or the peace of mind. Shalom means this universal flourishing, this universal wonder and awe and wholeness and delight, a state of affairs that inspires a joyful wonder of our creator God. Shalom is a way things ought to be. Shalom is a way things were designed to be. Now I want to kind of expand upon this understanding of Shalom as I discovered it on a couple mission journeys and through the Bible. About 11 years ago this month, Dave. Dave Grummy and I, Dave Grummy is a pastor of creative communications. We were traveling to the mountains of northern Thailand to examine the ministry of Norman Rideout, a longtime Sugar Creek partner. Norman Rideout was ministering to the indigenous Karini people of the mountainous region of northern Thailand and Burma and Myanmar. Thailand is a, a majority Buddhist nation with less than 2% evangelical Christian, yet, among the indigenous Karini, God was doing something among them that only God could do. It was like a Book of Acts movement where over 70% of the Karini people were followers of Jesus. So. We're in Chiang Mai, and we're in our four-wheel drive vehicle on our six-hour perilous ride up into this mountains. I'm in the back of the four-wheel drive truck in the jump seat just trying to hang on for life, trying not to be beaten and battered to death. And we arrived at the first village, and it's a village of about 2,000 people. These people, the Karen, are historically animist, and they're under witch doctor control. And this, this day, we're going to visit this first village, and we're going to visit the only Christian home in this village of about 2,000 homes, which I stated is under witch doctor control. You know, as we drove in, I noticed it was just gray and it was ugly. It seemed very impoverished. There just seemed to be a strong sense of oppression upon that town, that, that village. So we're staying tonight with this Christian family. They were very hospitable. They let us sleep on their slab floor, which is about f- four foot raised from the ground. You can see half-inch cracks in between every slab. So all night long, you could see the wild pigs and all the critters scurrying underneath us. And, and uh, we were just sleeping on that wood slabs, just using our backpacks as a pillow. And and they put a mosquito net over us, but it wasn't to keep the mosquitoes off of us. It was to keep the big snake. and the hairy spiders off of us. And I didn't sleep too good that night, even with jet lag. And uh, I look forward to breakfast. So they're feeding us breakfast in the morning, and they fixed us this gray soup in a bowl. And there's no utensils. I'm just slurping this soup. You can't see through it. It's very thick. It actually tasted very good, until something poked me in the mouth. And I I reached in there, and it's this scrawny chicken foot with its long toenails. And he said, that's a delicacy, you got to suck the toe. <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm not doing that, I, I'm not doing that, I, I'm doing whatever I can to prevent myself from going into that place right there, that outhouse. Uh, you know, I looked in there, it's just a hole in the ground with big hairy spiders all over the walls, and I wasn't going to do anything that was going to put me in that place. So uh, the people in this village, except for that Christian family. Like I said, there's a strong sense of oppression, you just see the anxiety, they're very unhospitable. Uh, Many broken relationships and dysfunction that we heard about, there was just rampant alcoholism, rampant heroin abuse, there was incest, there was domestic violence, the place had no beauty, there was no color, it was just gray, it was worn out and decaying. It was the absence of the gospel. I look forward to go to the next village. We're going to the next village. It's once again about 2,000 people, but it's 50-50. It's 50% Christian homes, 50% non-Christian homes. All these villages, all the people are, it's an agrarian community, so they're all farmers. They they use the same methodologies, the same tools, the same soils they're farming in. And as we're talking with the Christians, there's a great, uh, just a great hospitality, great friendliness amongst them, and they began to tell us the stories of the yield on their farms would be six to ten times greater than the yields on the non-Christian farms. It was as if God was showing off his power and his blessing in order to advance his kingdom. And then we went to the next village. Once again, it's about 2,000 homes, and, but it stunned me. It stunned me. It's all Christian. Everyone in this village is Christian. It's no longer under witch doctor control, and as we drove in, the place was beautiful. It was green, Uh, it was was bright and colorful, and the children were playing. There was no sense of oppression. There was a sense of joy overflowing in the people as if the community was flourishing. This community, this village seemed to be blessed by God. You know, I'd heard about the concept of shalom, I'd studied the missiological, the theological idea of shalom, but I had just now seen it. And what I discovered was the absence of shalom is the absence of the gospel. And the absence of the gospel is the absence of beauty and relationship. And the presence of the gospel is a restoration of God's design for a people and a community, and it's marked by the presence of harmony in relationships and beauty, the presence of Shalom. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about Shalom. In the beginning, the earth was void and dark and nothing, and God, who is love, created everything out of nothing because He is love. And he created the heavens and the earth and all the living things and it was good and there was harmony in all relationships and beauty and it was so very good and he created humans in his own image once again in harmony and relationship with the triune god with the father the son and the holy spirit and there was relationship and there was beauty and you keep hearing me say those words because that's the dynamics of shalom in fact the female, she, he created the female so incredibly beautiful that God called her, whoa, man. That's my one bad non joke for the morning. Yes, there was beauty and relationship, relationship with one another, relationship with God. God gave them good work and responsibility, stewardship over all creation. There's deep relationship with one another. The institution of marriage and the institution of family is ordained here. And there's this identity, this self-identity as the beloved and with dignity and value made in the image and to be in the image bearer, the living God, and God said, it was so very good, this is shalom. Yet in the context of beauty and relationship where there's freedom to love and liberty to be loved, There's always a choice of exploitation through pride and selfish desire to have what you can't have. And this beauty and this harmony was broken by human pride. And God separated humans from shalom, and this is the curse of sin, the separation from God's perfect design, his shalom, and it creates the brokenness we see and experience and feel around the world. It's an infection on the entire human race, the absence of shalom. There's four main areas of this broken relationship that took place as a result of the curse of sin. Number one is our relationship between people and God. It's broken. It's so broken. Number two is our self-identity, our relationship with ourselves. It's so dysfunctional, it's broken. Number three is our relationship with one another. Our relationship with others is so broken. Number four is our relationship with creation and the institutions created by God. Marriage, family, work, governments, it's broken. Boy, is it broken. But God, but God, yes, God in his tremendous love for us had a plan and a remedy to restore shalom. You know, this Bible is so spectacularly beautiful. It is a picture of shalom. It's incredible harmony, incredible integrated relationships, 66 books by 40 different authors in three different languages over a period of thousands of years, and it comes together as one harmonious integrated whole. Shalom. The first two chapters of this Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, are a picture of shalom. The last two chapters of this Bible, Revelation 21, 22, is a picture of shalom. The book ends of this Bible is Shalom. In the third chapter, from the beginning, Genesis 3, the curse of sin is introduced. In the third chapter, to the end, the curse of sin is removed, and everything in between is the story of God's unfolding plan to restore Shalom. And that plan would begin by God choosing a man, Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, we see the Great Commission in the Old Testament, and I'll read Genesis chapter 12 to you, the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This blessing that God is referring to to Abraham and all his future generations is a restoration of shalom. And notice that that blessing to Abraham and his future generations has a responsibility. They are to be a blessing to others in order to receive the blessing. The idea is this, you are blessed to bless others. You are blessed to be a blessing. They are required to restore shalom to others In order to receive shalom and we'll see that theme throughout scripture we'll fast forward through the narrative of scripture and we'll see that the nation of Israel is formed the blessing is being received by these people of God Uh, they received the deliverance and they received the law and they received the promised land and they received the prophets they received the very presence of God And despite this blessing, this shalom restored, they disobey the mandate to be a blessing to others and instead look and act just like the world, therefore God disciplines them. And they're taken into exile as slaves to the Babylonian Empire and their king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And while they're exiled in enemy territory, slaves to idolaters, God gives them this instruction through the prophet Jeremiah that teaches us much about our role in church and ministry in the world today. And I'll read it from Jeremiah chapter nine, verses four through seven, but we'll focus on verse seven. And this is what the Lord says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon. They are to marry and have children and plant their families in Babylon and multiply and be fruitful. And then verse seven, and work for the shalom of the city where I caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For when it has shalom, you will have shalom. We, the people of God, are exiles. Jesus said so. First Peter states that. We are exiles. We belong to another king and another kingdom. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And we are to work and pray for the shalom of the community that God has placed us for. If our community receives shalom, we shall receive shalom. In the biblical narrative, this blessing, this restoration of Shalom is transferred from a man, Abraham, to a nation, the nation of Israel, and then to a a God-man, Jesus Christ, and then to a holy nation, the church. Now behold, behold the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. I'll read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and we'll focus on verse 20. Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ existed before anything was created, and He's supreme over all creation, for through Him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also head of the church, which is His body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ." And then in verse 20, "...through him, Jesus Christ, God reconciled." Reconciled is another word for restoring shalom. So through him, Jesus Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace, shalom, with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is the author. Jesus is the restorer, Jesus is the very presence of Shalom, and He says to His disciples, therefore He's saying to us today in John chapter 14, He says, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are to obey my commands in order to remain in me. The one who believes in me will also do the work that I do, and greater works than that will you do because the Holy Spirit is in you. And then He says to you, and then to me, He says, I'm going away. but." John, chapter 14, verse 27, I'm going away, but peace, shalom, I leave with you. My peace, shalom, I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. The very presence of God, the pra- very presence of the Holy Spirit is the presence of shalom. And the Holy Spirit in us is the power to be the agent of, the ambassador of shalom. And without a doubt, we, the church, have been given a responsibility to pray and work for the shalom of the community we live in and the nations. Jesus Christ, in His great commandment, the Great Commission commandment, stated, we are to make disciples, which is restoring shalom to all nations, all peoples. God's heart is for the nations from Genesis to Revelation, so our responsibility is to work and to pray for the shalom of our city and the nations. For if they receive shalom, we shall receive shalom. But how does the church do this? What does that look like? I want to share five simple patterns that permeate uh, all of our local and our global mission efforts and strategies. These five activities all start with the letter P. Number one, pray fervently. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. May your shalom come on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is miraculous. Prayer brings us into the reality, into the presence of Shalom. When we pray, we enter the presence of the triune God. When we pray, Jesus is interceding for us. When we pray, the Holy Spirit is praying through us in our weakness. When we pray and we pray for the kingdom, it gives God the Father great pleasure and it activates the unfolding plan of God to restore Shalom. Number two is presence, the incarnation. We are the presence of light. We are the presence of Shalom, the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus Christ, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. He walked our streets incarnational, and just as Jesus was sent, so are we sent incarnational. In the world, but not of the world, listening, loving, making, it's messy. It's ugly, it's painful, but we have overcome the world. Jesus is the presence of the kingdom and he is in us. Then number three is power, but I want to talk about two different types of power. The first one is supernatural power. The kingdom of God is not talk, but it's power. And you've received power when the Holy Spirit came upon you to be a witness, the very presence of the kingdom, the very presence of Shalom. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 21 says, when you are in Jesus Christ, you have been made brand new, born again, and simultaneously an ambassador. Therefore you've been given authority and power and responsibility for the kingdom. This is not an ideal. This is our reality. And then the second kind of power that we have is relational power, and that's a collaborative capacity. The whole church, the whole church and all our gifts and all our resources and all our talents, engaged and giving herself away to the city and to the nations. It takes great humility. It takes great surrender, yielding to a power greater than ourselves. And number four is practice. We the church are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the instruments of his love. We are the tangible acts of grace that empower people and deliver them from poverty, that deliver them from slavery, that deliver them from idolatry. We treat them like they have dignity and value as if they carry the image of Christ and we're restoring that image to them. And then number five, is proclamation, proclamation of the gospel, and the gospel's bigger than we think. Jesus, when he started his ministry, we see it in Luke chapter 4, he entered that synagogue in Nazareth, and he read from the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he said these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor what is that good news? The word good news is translated gospel, they're both the same meaning. Gospel and good news have the same meaning. Paul stated in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. How will they ever hear if no one tells them? How will they, anyone tell them if they're never sent? How will they be sent if no one sends them? How will they go if no one sends them? And then he says this, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. And he's referring to Isaiah 52. So we need to go back and look at Isaiah 52 to see the characteristics of this gospel. And I'll read it from Isaiah 52, verse seven. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, shalom, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Remember the people of God in Jeremiah that we read earlier. The people of God are in exile to the Babylonians and under slavery there. Uh, They're to work and pray for that city. Yet there was a remnant left behind in the destroyed city of Jerusalem, a remnant in that place that had no hope, that were just just struggling to survive. And they had watchmen on the wall waiting for that day and praying for that day of deliverance. And then they see them. They see a lone messenger coming down the mountain and their their hearts burst with joy because if it had been a, a straggling band of people, they would have known that there was defeat, that there was no hope, that they were doomed. But no, when they see the lone messenger, they know the lone messenger carries good news. And just think about that lone messenger. He's traveled long distances with a great purpose and a great mission. He's overcome every obstacle. He's he's overcome every barrier. And he sees these people that he's delivering this good news to. And he's excited and he picks up his pace and he gets up and he approaches them and he shouts with all he has. It's shalom. It's good. We're saved. Our God reigns. This is the message of the gospel. The gospel is the message of Shalom, the message of the kingdom, the victory has been won. There is a new order in town, the kingdom of God. The gospel is not about getting people into heaven. Catch this. The gospel is not about getting people into heaven. That's only partial truth. The gospel is about getting heaven into people. The gospel is about getting heaven into people. I was in northern Iraq looking to minister to the Kurdish people. We were in this community called a collective. I was visiting with the mullah, which is the mayor, under Saddam Hussein's dictator, reign, the Kurdish people were victims of a, a program of genocide, hundreds of thousands of them were murdered, and then the remaining were removed from their lands and placed in concentration camps, and their lands were poisoned, their wells were poisoned, their villages destroyed. Well, now it's the autonomous Kurdish region, their no-fly zone, Saddam Hussein's been captured, and we're there to minister to the Kurdish people. And this, this concentration camp is now a town. It's called a, a collective. It's very under-resourced. They had no place to go. Their villages and their lands destroyed. So they live in these collectives. And we're there meeting with the mayor, uh, trying to learn how we can help them with various projects to bring some value to their life and the gospel into their, their lives. And he, he said something that I'll never forget. He said to me, We don't need your water projects, we don't need your money. We need a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of loving." And I just began to glow. The gospel is an all-encompassing power that recreates us to bring forth a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of loving. In the world now, and forever. This is the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Come back home. Come back to God. Come back the way it ought to be, the way God designed it, the way God designed you to be. This is the restoration of Shalom. This is the gospel. Well we know how the story ends in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Ah, the curse of sin is removed. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. The new place of shalom, because Jerusalem means place of peace or place of shalom. The new place of shalom comes down to earth. The consummation of shalom takes place. What does it look like? Revelation 22 gives us a picture of it. No longer will there be a curse on anything. We can't even comprehend what life is like without the curse of sin, but no longer Will there be a curse on anything, for the throne of God and a lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and catch this, and they, you and I, will reign forever and ever. No more sin. The constant presence of shalom. We reign forever and ever. I want you to do an exercise with me, just use your imagination, try to picture this with me. I'm holding the end of a thick rope. It's one of those ropes like you would climb in gym class, doing a rope climb. I'm holding the end of that thick rope. And it extends down to the floor and starts covering the stage and covers all up through the worship center and out into the commons. It goes down to the Missouri City campus and wraps around there a few times, and it goes over to the Darrington campus and wraps around that prison uh, uh, several hundred times, and up to the Richmond-Rosenberg campus and wraps around there, and it's a long rope, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, but it goes on. It goes down to Houston and, and around the world a few dozen times, and then up to the moon and wraps around. Down there and up to the, each planet and it's it's long and each planet and then up to the next universe and then the universe after that and then it wraps around it a billion a million a billion times that is an incredible rope we would describe it as never-ending goes on forever that rope that rope represents the years of your life and this piece that i'm holding in my hand This little segment of that rope I'm holding in my hand represents your years on earth, your life on earth, that little segment. And it's roughly, what, 80 years? And that little segment is simply this. It is training for reigning. It is training for reigning. It'll determine our roles, our rewards, our position, whatever that looks like in this eternal forever reign. Now I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about whether your name's written in the book of life. Uh, if, you're, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the boss of your life, and you believe that He rose from the grave, and you place your trust in Him, surrendered and yielded to Him, and ask for forgiveness of your sins, you are saved, and your trajectory is on that rope. I'm talking about us and this test that we're going to have. These believers, this test that we're going to have at the end of our life. And there's one question that's going to be asked just one question that's going to be asked and it's this how did you love well how will we pass that test what does that look like to pass that test how does it look like what's that love look like it looks like working and praying for the shalom of your city and the nations but remember remember We're on the other side of the resurrection. We're on the other side of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. That's why we're sealed for that eternal destiny. We're sealed for there, but we're still subject to this test. How did we love? And just as Jesus was sent, so are we sent. And He says, even greater things will you do than what I did. Wow. So as he was sent, we're gonna go back to where he started his ministry and see what this passing this test looks like. We're gonna go back together in Luke chapter four, we're gonna go back to that synagogue there in Nazareth. And we're gonna read together that scroll of Isaiah. We're gonna read it to that synagogue, we're gonna read it to this church, we're gonna read it to the global church, we're gonna read it to the world. So let's read it with authority. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you and I. He has anointed you and I to bring good news to the poor in spirit and the poor in poverty. He has sent us to proclaim captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor is now. And the scripture you just heard us read has been fulfilled to this very day. And then we're going to continue on reading with authority these words from the scroll of Isaiah 58, the real religion that pleases God. We've been anointed with the spirit of the Lord, and we will free those who are wrongly imprisoned. We will lighten the burden of those who work for us. We will let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. We'll share our food with the hungry, and we'll give shelter to the homeless. We'll give clothes to those who need them, and we won't hide from relatives who need need our help and our salvation will come like the dawn and our wounds and our brokenness will quickly heal and our godliness the light of Jesus will lead us forward and the glory of the Lord Jesus himself will protect us from behind he'll be our rear guard and then we'll call and Jesus will answer immediately yes I am here As we remove the yokes of heavy oppression from people, we'll stop pointing our fingers and spreading vicious rumors. We'll feed the hungry, we'll help those in trouble, we'll help those that are vulnerable, that are afflicted, the the least power, the, the powerless. Our, our light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around us will be bright as noon and the Lord will guide us continually. He'll give us water when we are dry. He'll restore our strength. We'll be like well watered gardens, like an ever flowing spring. And some of us, some of us will be the rebuilders of the broken cities in our land. And some of us will be the restorers of the broken homes. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet in all its fullness. Shalom is now, but not quite, in all its magnificence. And this gospel, the restoration of Shalom, this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And until then, we are in the world, but not of the world. We are exiles. We are to work and to pray for the Shalom of our city and the nations, and our church is designed to help you do this. Our mission of our church is designed to help you grow in this, and to live this out, and equip you in this, and resource you in this, and if the Holy Spirit I know is speaking to you to get involved in this, you can just text the word "on mission" to the number 72345. Those directions are at the end of your sermon notes, and we'll get you plugged in to how you can pray effectively for the city and the nations. And how you can give above your regular offerings to fuel this local and global work of the Shalom, Restoration of Shalom ministry, and how you can get involved in projects and equipping throughout 2021. And then if you want to see some of the stories that we just celebrated at the Unshakable Mission Celebration, the the stories of ordinary people doing the extraordinary as they engage in this ministry of the Restoration of Shalom, go to the sugarcreek.net that slash unshakable, and you'll see the radiate unshakable story. It's an incredible uh, film of just just, uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary during this time of COVID. So together as a faith family, we can do this. It takes the whole church to share the whole gospel with the whole world. So shalom be with you. Shalom, yes, shalom is with you. So let us pray. Abba, Father, we rejoice that you first loved us. We thank you for your presence of the Holy Spirit that brings us together as one. We thank you for a lifestyle of worship because your presence is fully with us wherever we go. Oh, Abba, Father, today we pray that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit would speak and raise up men and women filled with your zeal, Lord, filled with your zeal to be labors in your incredible harvest in this region and around the world. We pray for your great favor and blessing upon these people, Lord Jesus Christ, and may they be a blessing to others, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are an unshakable king of an unshakable kingdom and we surrender and yield to you and we walk with you and delight in you all our days. We praise the name of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.